I invite you to go to the book of Colossians, please. Colossians 1. Last week we looked at verses 24. I should have made that singular. We looked at verse 24 last week. Uh, the intent was to go through 29, and this week we will, we will finish up through 29. And um, so last week we looked at a ministry of suffering. This week we're going to look at how Paul's ministry and his ministry philosophy was a ministry of preaching. Next week we're going to look at how there's a ministry of intercession and exhortation. I don't know if I'll do both next week. I'm flying by the seat of my pants when it comes to this text of Scripture. Um, Paul is infamous for his run-on sentences. And when you start diving into and, and pulling apart this, there really is so much more there uh, than when you first just take a quick look at it. So verse 25. Well, let, let, me, let me start verse 24 for context's sake. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints." To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all energy that He powerfully works within me. And I told you it's a big run in sentences. And if you look at sentence, and if you look at uh, uh, verse twenty-seven, at the end of twenty-eight, verse twenty-seven, most of our English translations will have a period there, and then verse twenty-seven is the beginning of a new sentence. Not so in the original. When Paul originally wrote this, that was continuing on one sentence. And so we have this thought that's building upon each other, and so it's very complex. And so as we begin to dissect this, we see really what Paul is doing is he's illustrating the fact that he's a minister of the gospel. We see that twice in this text. We see in verse 23 and verse 25 of how that he said that he is a minister of the gospel. That really defined who Paul was. Let me ask you this question. Why do you get up in the morning? You say, I ask myself that every day. <laughs> what, what, what motivates you? I mean, why, why do we go through this endless cycle of going to work and doing the responsibilities, going to bed, and, and we start this over and over again? What drives you? What, 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 def, what defines you? What motivates you? If you look at Twitter, which I did, this question, several answers come to mind. The first one, according to Twitter, is because I want to do stuff. I don't like sleeping in. It feels like I'm wasting time. Okay? That's one reason why people get up in the morning. Another reason is uh, that, that I mentioned on Twitter is the hope that I can finally be the person I dream of being. 
I, I don't know if that was an intentional play on words about dreaming and getting up or whatever, but nonetheless, that is one of the reasons why. Another reason that someone gives is because I've got to take every day by the reins if I'm going to make it. Another person said, because sleep is unproductive. I disagree with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I, I think sleep can be very productive. And then, of course, one person put this, the thought of finally meeting her. That's why people get up in the morning. Okay? And we all have different reasons why we do that. And Steve Pavlina, who has a website that in his, the tagline for his website and, and his, his encouragement to people is that he will help people in their personal, his website says, personal development for smart people. So I don't know if I was going in restricted territory when I went on his website, but I nonetheless broke enemy lines and went on his website. And he was answering the question of, of, of how do you find purpose in life? So it's basically the same question I just asked, but a different way of putting it. And he has a four-step method. I am not making this up. He has a four-step method of finding purpose in life. So according to him, according to Steve, step one is take out a blank sheet of paper or open a word processor where you can type. That's step one. And then he goes on to tell us that he prefers the word processor because he likes typing more. So step two then is right at the top, what is my true purpose in life? That's step two. Then he moves to step three. Step three is write an answer, any answer that pops into your head. It doesn't have to be a complete sentence. A short phrase is just fine. So whatever comes to your head, you do this and you, and you write it down. And then the final step in finding purpose in life, according to Steve, is repeat step three until you write an answer that makes you cry. This is your purpose. I don't know what it meant because I felt like crying when I read that. <laughs> so I, I wasn't sure what my purpose was um, at that point. Now, my point isn't to make fun of Steve, although it is fun to do, but that's not my point. Um, I, I've never met him. I, 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 I don't know him. Um, but I actually was wondering if this was, was a spoof type thing. Um, but unfortunately, it's not. This is often how people go about finding purpose in life. Very subjective, very feeling-driven. And when we read Paul, we get a sense that he had a much greater purpose in his life. Hold your place here. Just, just real quick, just go over to, to Acts 9, real quick. Acts 9. We'll come right back, but, but, but I want you to see this. In verse 3, his name is Saul at this point, you will remember. His name was later changed, or people just began to refer to him as, as Paul. In verse 3, it says in Acts 9, Now as he, as Paul, went on, or Saul, he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Okay, now fast forward the narrative a little bit. He meets Ananias, and then he is told what to do. At this point, though, in the narrative, in verse 15, Jesus is talking to Ananias of what he is supposed to communicate to Paul. Go, the Lord said to Ananias, go for he, Paul, or Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now this was the, the, the purpose that was given to Ananias to communicate to Paul. And that's a very difficult one because from the very beginning, he knew, he knew that he would suffer for the cause of Christ. He knew that he was supposed to proclaim the riches and glory of Christ. Now we say that, well, we don't know that Ananias specifically told him that. Because it's not recorded in the text. But later on in Acts it is. Go to Acts 26. Go over to Acts 26. I just want you to see this real fast. I'm outside my notes here, but I just want you to see this. In Acts 26, this is one of the few accounts where Paul reiterates his personal conversion testimony and what happened to him. In verse 12 of Acts 26, it says, In this connection... I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, he's talking to Agrippa here. He's given his testimony to King Agrippa. He says, so at, at, at midday, Agrippa, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from people and from the Gentiles, to whom I will be sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here we have a more full account of the conversation that we had. And so Paul knew, Saul knew at his conversion, he knew exactly what his purpose was in life. He had a very defined purpose and reason for getting up in the morning. Back in Colossians chapter 1, we see here he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. What does that mean, this idea of his stewardship? Really, another way that we could say that is that he was commissioned. He was commissioned to be a minister of the gospel. He was commissioned to go out and tell people about Christ. Now, this text is very specifically speaking to someone like me who is a preacher of the gospel. But it does, the application doesn't end with me who does this vocationally. It has ramifications on you because all of us are called to be proclaimers of the gospel, are we not? All of us are given the great commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 to go and make disciples. And that is the only command in that text. And how are we to make disciples? The Scripture tells us by one of the ways is by teaching them to observe all things. And so you have the responsibility as well, as a child of God, to proclaim the gospel to those around you. And so when Paul got up in the morning, when Paul analyzed his purpose of life, 
He didn't need to take out a blank piece of paper and he did not wait, need to wait for tears to flow from his eyes. What he needed and what he knew was that he must take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that needed to hear of Christ, specifically the Gentiles. And so today we're going to be talking about Paul's ministry and was a ministry of preaching. If you're continuing the outline from last week, this would be point number two. If you're taking notes individually, this would be point number one. Paul's ministry as a minister of the gospel was a ministry of preaching. In the text, first of all, we see that Paul's preaching had a specific message. Paul's preaching had a specific message. In verse 25, it says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. What did he say there? To make the Word of God fully known. Do you see that at the end of verse 25 there? And he says, and he goes on to talk about that a little bit, this mystery that was now made known. And so what Paul's desire was, his, his preaching had a very specific message. It was the Word of God. He was, it was a very Word-centered approach. He wanted to take what God had said in His Word. And he was an expert in the Word of God. And he was an expert in what had been written already. And God was using him to convey the Word of God to people. Remember, let's back away for just a second from this text or or to get a better viewpoint here. What is going on here? Paul has not seen these people in this church before. Paul did not start this church in Colossae. This church was started primarily or probably by a man by Epaphras. And Epaphras was probably a disciple of Paul's from his Ephesian ministry when, when they were at Ephesus together. And so Epaphras is converted through the ministry of Paul goes back to Colossae, which was one of three cities in the Lycon Valley, and, and he and begins to start a church there. But what happens is this false teaching starts to come in. People start talking about Jesus Christ as being one of God, one of many gods, or one more specifically, a one of many spirits that come from God, that we could accept him as a spirit from God, but he is no better than anyone else. And that is why in the beginning here of Colossians chapter 1, which we looked at several weeks ago, that we see Paul makes the point that Christ is preeminent. He is the only thing we need. He was combating false teaching here. He was going back to the Scriptures. He was going back to the Word of God. And, and he, was, he was communicating this gospel message very clearly to the Gentiles specifically. Paul's message, Paul's preaching had a very specific message. Now, what was part of this? In the text, it says to make the Word of God fully known. And he begins to define that in this run-on sentence. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What is this mystery? What does that mean when we see mystery in the New Testament? Whenever the word mystery is used in the New Testament, we see this in Thessalonians. Paul uses that word there. We see it here. We see it in other places. We understand what that's saying is that it was a truth of Scripture that was previously hidden but is now made known. It's now, and the people now understand what's being talked about here. And in this mystery here, he goes on to define in verse 26, in verse 27, to them, talking about the saints, verse 26, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
And so this mystery hidden that was hidden is now made known is that there are riches in Christ that are available to all, Jew and Gentile alike. And these riches, they, they're defined in this text of Christ being in you the hope of glory. Now understand how great this must be because these people were, were, were starting to doubt the exclusivity and the primacy of Jesus Christ. And think about how when Paul just described them, take your eyes and just go back to chapter 1 and verse 15, how he describes Christ. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. What a great Christological statement of, of who Jesus is. And what Paul is saying there, he's saying that he is God. He, we, we looked at that in a previous message. He's saying that he sustains all of creation. He created everything. And it was by his idea, his words, his, his actions that he was part of that creation process. And not only that, it wasn't that he created it and then washed his hands and walked away. No, he continues to hold this world together. This world spinning in space is being held by Jesus of Nazareth. And it's that Jesus that Paul says, He is in you. How in the world? The Spirit of Christ is in those who are disciples of Christ. The Spirit of Christ is in those who are called sons and daughters of God. This is an amazing theological concept. And so Paul's preaching had a very specific message, is that it is Christ in the whole of all of who are God's children, not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles alike. So the main message here is to call people to understand that the only hope available to mankind is found in Christ. Did you see that in verse 27? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul's message was very specific. He simply pointed people to Christ. That was it. And you and I have the same message to give. We point people to Christ. We, we, we try to show the awesomeness of God. We, we, we try to show how great God is. For a class, I just got done studying through the book of Isaiah. And I had to write a paper on uh, the, the whole theological message of Isaiah. And as I studied the book of Isaiah, I just saw over and over again that Isaiah wanted the people to whom he was writing and to whom he was speaking, he just wanted them to know how great God was. The majesty of God. That is what we do, brothers and sisters. We point people to God. That is why when we choose our songs, we're choosing songs that point us to God. When we choose our messages and how to preach, We're trying to just focus on God and what His Word has to say. And so we point people to Christ. Paul's preaching had a very specific message. Letter B, Paul's preaching had a very specific purpose. In verse 28, in the end of verse 28, it says, Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so the purpose of Paul's preaching was so that he could present people mature in Christ and so that he could see people grow in their spiritual walk. Paul felt very strongly, he, under, he felt that pressure that those to whom he ministered to, that he would give an account to them one day uh, for their soul. And so he wanted to see them grow in maturity and he wanted to teach them uh, uh, about God and, and that they would have a better understanding of Christ and who he was. I feel that same pressure. I feel that pressure that as I have the privilege, and, and, and brothers and sisters, I count it a, 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 a privilege to stand here week after week and proclaim Christ to you. But I don't view this as simply a job. I don't view this as something that, well, I get up, I teach, and I go home. No, I pray for you because I want to see you grow. And, and I pray, and I hope that you're praying for me, and I hope that you're wanting to see me grow in my walk with God. Because at the end, we, we, we need to see maturity. There has to be growing. When there is no growth, it's a sign that something is wrong. Is that not true? It, it, w- w- look at your children. If, if your children never grew, would that be acceptable? Would that be something that is like, well, I mean, they're, they're just going through life their way. I mean, they don't want to grow up. But, but and some people have a hard time growing up. Some people have a hard time of moving out of the house or whatever the case may be. But it, it, and that becomes to be a, a, a something that is, is difficult for people to understand because they're not seeing maturity there. Well, Paul's purpose here, the reason why he was given this message over and over again, was because he wanted to see people grow in their walk with God. This comes through warning and through teaching. Did you see that in the text of verse 28 there? Warning everyone and teaching everyone. Now, when you, now, the primary means that Paul was doing this was through preaching. And the primary means of my teaching and my warning in this assembly is through preaching. And so my question to you is, do you see preaching as warnings and instructions, or do you see it as meddling? <laughs> or do you see it as just something that we just kind of endure? It's, it's, it's the precursor to lunch. <laughs> you know, it's what we do. No, it, Paul was very specific here. The reason why he was doing this. A large part of my job is really, I was thinking about this the other day, a large part of my job is, is really having difficult conversations with people. Some people may think that we as pastors thrive in controversy or arguments. You know, in most cases, that could not be further from the truth. We would love to avoid controversy and difficult conversations if we could. But that isn't why we are here. We are here to promote promote maturity through warning and instruction. And so this oftentimes that forces me to have difficult conversations with people and, and, I, tr- and I pray that it's always in the spirit of humility. But the, the role of a preacher is to warn and instruct. So the question then comes for you is how teachable are you? When, when you hear the word of God proclaimed, is it in a is it something that, that, that you respond to of teachability? Or is it something that's like, I can't believe he said that and giving no thought to it? I'm not saying that whatever I say is, is gospel truth and you need to receive it as ex cathedra. But what I am saying is that you should take whatever anyone that preaches and go back to the Scripture. And if it makes sense according to the Scripture, then you need to heed that warning and heed that instruction. If it doesn't make sense according to the Scriptures, then you have no obligation. 
but you probably do should have a conversation. So if I preach something that doesn't make sense to you, I would hope that you would ask me about that. Not because, so that we could work through it. Maybe you could sharpen me, much like Aquila and Priscilla sharpened Apollos in Acts 19. I understand that that's possible. But maybe that is a, you need more instruction as well. And so Paul's purpose here was to present people mature through his main method was through preaching. There's a man by the name of Henry Martin. He lived in 1781 to 1812. He was an Anglican priest and a missionary to India. He was very influenced by, after reading the work, uh, uh, reading about the work of William Carey, and then later on he read David Brainerd's uh, works, and he was highly, just greatly influenced by these two men. And so he went to India to bring the gospel to the Indians there in the country of India. In one of his journal entries on May 7th, he, he put the, the following entry after going to hear somebody preach. Now, in his journal entry, he just puts a line. You'll see it. I'm going to put it on the screen in a second here. But you'll see a line there. He, he, he didn't want to name the preacher in his journal because it wasn't a very favorable review. But this is what he wrote. May 7th, went in the evening to hear blank. We don't know. He was on the same subject as usual, but without variety. I confess I was dissatisfied, not only because I could fix on nothing that could edify me, but because I could not but think that there was nothing to offend or detect carnal professors. What he was saying there is he was saying there was no point to his preaching, whoever this person was. There was no, there was no stepping out of toes, and not in a, a proud way, but in a way of proclaiming the truth with the purpose of maturity. And, and if we're going to be a mature congregation in growing in that, we need to be able to receive teaching that pushes us. You say, Jeremy, why are you focusing on this? Are you sensing something differently? Not necessarily. I'm not necessarily sensing that this is an unteachable congregation. In fact, in a lot of ways, I'm sensing it's a very teachable congregation. But at the same time, I know, I know in the heart of every man, my own first, is that tendency to not want to be stretched and to be comfortable with where we're at. And Paul here, he had a very specific purpose for his preaching, his ministry. So the preaching of this church here at Memorial must be driven by a desire to help people progress forward on to maturation. Sometimes that means direct conversations or sermons that would deal with specific sins present in our congregation. So we need to ask ourselves, are we wanting that type? The preacher must be willing to preach directly and without compromise, but the people must be willing to listen and learn. At the installation service of several weeks ago, um, we had several quotes in the in the. Uh, in the the handout, the program there. On the back of it was a quote by the, this guy right here, Samuel Pierce. 1766 to 1799, short life, only lived 33 years. He was a uh, minister of the gospel in Great Britain. He uh, had a, a, he's kind of an obscure uh, person in history, but yet what he did write and what he, his ministry at that time was very efficient and effective for the cause of Christ. On the back of that handout, I put a very long quote. I'm going to put it on the screen for you here in a second. And he was, he was basically saying what type of preacher he wanted in his ministry. He says this, Give me the preacher who opens the folds of my heart, who accuses me, convicts me, condemns me before God, who loves my soul too well to suffer me to go on in sin unreproved through fear of giving me offense 
who draws the line with accuracy between the delusions of fancy and the impressions of grace. He goes on, who pursues me from one hiding place to another until I am driven from every refuge of lies, who gives me no rest until he sees me with unfeigned penitence, trembling at the feet of Jesus, and then, and not till then, soothes my anguish, wipes away my tears, and comforts me with the cordials of grace. Give me the preacher who constantly affirms that they who have believed be careful to maintain good works, who insists that a life of peace and communion with God is utterly abhorrent to the practice of iniquity and faithfully reminds me that if I sin that grace may abound, my damnation is just. Give me the preacher who pants, not for my safety only, but also for my increase in grace, who cautions me, reproves me, rebukes me, exhorts me with all longsuffering and doctrine, who charges me to give all diligence to add to my faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Brethren, if Christ has given you such a man as this, receive him as an angel from heaven and prize such a pastor as one of the most valuable gifts that can be imparted to the church. So is this what you want? This is what I desire to be. I desire to be a preacher that Samuel Pierce wanted. I desire influences in my life and preaching that I listen to to be that. Is this the type of preaching and pastoring? This is the type of preaching and pastoring that Paul had in mind here. This is what he wanted to do to make known how great among the Gentiles the riches of the glory of Christ was in, in warning and teaching everyone. But what about your preaching? Your life is always preaching some message. Do you have a specific purpose in mind as you preach to others? As you proclaim the purpose of your life to others through your actions and values, is it intentional? Is there a purpose behind the decisions you make? Or are you just getting up morning after morning with little thought of purpose or direction? And so as you proclaim the gospel to people through your actions and through your values, understand that there must be an intentionality to it. And so Paul's message, Paul's preaching had a very specific purpose to it, and that was to present people mature. Are people around you growing in their maturity as a result of your ministry to them? That's a question to ask, because according to this, this is what Paul's purpose was. Very quickly, in our outline as we move through the last two ideas of of ministry of preaching, thirdly, Paul's preaching had natural energy. Did you see that in verse 29? Verse 20 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. He talks about his energy, and we're going to get to that in a second there. But the first idea is this toiling, struggling there. Paul, this is the idea of athletic competition or total exertion. This is the idea of someone who is giving everything in order to, in, in like in a competition. It's, it's the idea of, the, the picture that always comes to my mind is, is in the Olympics, and this is the only time I, I watch track and field is during the Olympics. And so you see the runners, and they're running across, and, 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 and as they get to the finish line, what do they all do? They all lunge forward, trying to get that extra half an inch or whatever it is to break that plane first and win. And so at that moment, I love seeing a picture, if they snap a picture right at the finish line, because you see 
every muscle strain. You see the, the, the look on the runner's faith, uh, face of just total exertion and, and pushing forward at that last moment. And they're giving everything they have in that moment. That picture that is just in your mind, that's what Paul is talking about in his ministry here. Total exertion. Ministry is not easy. It's not convenient. It's not always convenient. It often costs us what we value the most. It could be time and money. Ministry is not convenient. But Paul, his preaching, his ministry here, had great energy. I can't imagine Paul saying, I think I need some more me time. I just can't hear him say that. He was giving everything he had for the cause of Christ. So the question we need to ask ourselves, what is our exertion level for God? But you know, this text here, this verse, we see again in Scripture, we see this in a few places, where God's enablement and man's responsibility work together. Because it says, I struggle with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. So the letter D, Paul's preaching has supernatural power. With all his energy. We see this in Colossians 1 verse 11. We saw that it says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. We see in other passages in Ephesians several times in the book of Ephesians. We won't go there due to time's sake. But we see several times that, that God supernaturally enables people for ministry. And, and that's how we are to live our lives. We are to struggle. We are to strain. We are to give everything we have. We are to stay up late studying for sermons. We are to uh, uh, work very hard and do our due diligence. But at the end of the day, it's God's power that is working and it's going to make it possible. I had this conversation with Anouk just the other day. And I was just like, you know, part of the thing is, is, is I'm always trying to figure out when have I done enough? I mean, I know Sunday's coming. I know the text I'm going to preach in. And, and when, when have I studied enough? I mean, I get my outline and I get everything all together and I've got it. But I got this thing in the back of my mind. It's like, you know, you know, read another commentary on this. Listen to someone who preached from the same text. Read some more on it. And, and so it's like, because, man, I've, I've got to be ready. I, I've got to stand up in front of the people and I've got to, I've got to open the Word of God and I've got to give it to them and, and, and that's my responsibility. That's what I've been called to do. I take that very seriously. But when, when is it enough? Is it, is it when I've studied 25 hours for a message, which isn't unusual? Is it when I've studied 30 hours for a message, which isn't unusual? Is it when I've studied 40 hours, 50 hours? At what point is it enough? And, and the answer, that there really is no answer to that. We just need to work really hard at it. But here's the danger if, if I only think of that. When I walk up here, I can't walk up here thinking, I've studied for 45 hours for this message. Got it. You know, I, often I pray as I walk up the steps. I just did it just, just a few minutes ago. As I walked up the steps, I, I, I just prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That, that, that's, that's what I just prayed. And the reason why I, I, I say that, because I want to remind myself that I'm a man walking up here, regardless of 30, 40, 50 hours of study, I'm still a man who needs God to use His Word to drive it into your hearts. So Paul's preaching has supernatural power. Your preaching needs to have supernatural power. You need to work hard. You need to put the effort into it. You need to start those conversations with people. They're not going to just happen. 
You need to be prepared. You need to think through. You need to study the scriptures. You need to put that work into it. But at the end of the day, if there's going to be any benefit or fruit of our ministry, it's because it's from supernatural power from God. And that's the balance we need to have. We need, to ban- we need to understand that our entire life is a balance between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. So Paul's ministry was centered around the proclamation of God's Word. It's the Word that works. It's the Word of God that must be central in all of our ministerial communication. All of our Sunday school lessons, all of our VBS, all of our Awana, all the teen connections, the adult discipleship hour, all of our small groups, they must have a clear teaching of God's Word as its primary focus. I'll say it once more. It is the Word of God that works in people's lives. So Paul's ministry was very focused. He had a ministry of preaching. He knew what his goal was. He knew what the purpose was. He knew the message. He knew the power that it took in order for it to have fruit. So this week, go. Let me encourage you to go and proclaim the gospel. Focus on the word. Know the word. Love the word. Live the word. Be intentional with your life. Why are you here? Why did you get up this morning? Are you making disciples for the glory of God? That is why we got up this morning.